Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This time, a friend with millions, a myopic chemist and a long-haired piano player, was thrown into panic because a brilliant young lady with a gun was taking a big step in the wrong direction. It happened like this. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Big Step. Mr. Marlowe, I, I always figure shoes are just like faces. How's that, champ? Well, they make it old and they make it wrinkled, but they're still okay as long as they got a shine on them. <laughs> yeah, it keeps that right in condition, huh, champ? <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, let me just spank up this one again, huh? Sure. Oh, come in. Mr. Marlowe? Yeah? Oh, excuse me, I didn't know you was busy. That's all right. Okay, champ, I guess that does it. Here you are. Oh, thank you, Mr. Marlowe. I'll uh, see you tomorrow. Right. Well, now that my shoes have a new lease on life, won't you sit down? Miss, uh... Cantor. Mrs. Betty Cantor. Oh. I'm a waitress at the Shelton Cafe. I need your help, Mr. Marlowe. There's something you could do for me. You free to take a case? Well, I'm free, depending on the case. What is it? Well, today, this friend of mine, Shirley Vitello, comes into the restaurant where I work. Yeah. She takes her usual table, and while she's waiting for her order, she starts reading the paper. Well, it's all quiet so far, Betty. Yeah, but... Just when I'm bringing in the tomato juice, it happens. She sees something in the paper that scares her. Scares her bad. What was it, Betty? Do you know? I don't know. She muttered something, and then she runs out of the place. Her face was gray like ashes. Later, I got to worrying. I called her at home, then at the lab where she works, even her husband's studio. No luck. Now, wait a minute, Betty. I, I don't quite get the connection. You and Shirley Vitello, I mean. Oh, I don't know. We're social. We're only chummy at the restaurant. She's been eating there for years. Well, that's a basis for friendship. Yeah. Well, about six months ago, I was in bad trouble. And Shirley came through with 200 bucks when it seemed like more money than I'd ever seen. Yeah. It kept me and my husband together. So, you see, she means a lot to me. Yeah, I see what you mean. Well, look, Bet, what was this about a lab? Well, Shirley's a technician. She works as an assistant to a chemist named Softman. 
Abraham Sorfman, out on Melrose someplace. Mm-hmm. What about Shirley's husband? Do you know him? Gilbert? Oh, yeah. He comes in with her a lot. He's a piano composer and a real nice guy. Mm. He lives for his work. He's unknown now, but he's a real genius, oh, Shirley sure, says. Sure. She'd do anything to keep him and his music going. Yeah, well, tell me, this friend of yours saw something in a paper you said that scared her. Now, that's all you know, huh? Yeah. And I want you to find out why and help her. Here's 50 bucks, Mr. Marlowe. That's what you charge, ain't it? Uh, more or less, yeah. <clears throat> By the way, Mrs. Cantor, where's your ring? Uh, I sometimes take it off when I'm working. You do, huh? Yeah. Or perhaps when you hock it to raise 50 bucks? Look, Betty, I'm a careless guy. You, um, you better hold the money, huh? Oh, but Mr. Marlowe... Where do the Vitellos live? But Mr. Marlowe... We're in a hurry, Betty, remember? Where's the address? Well, it's 3140 Veteran Avenue. Mm-hmm. And in case you want it, Gilbert's studio is Benedict Canyon, 510. Thanks, Mr. Marlowe. And you call me at Empire 17087, huh? When Betty Cantor was gone, I got in my car and drove out to Veteran Avenue. You know, she was a pathetic little creature. And with a little effort, she could have that touch-and-glow look. Oh, well. 3140 was one of those small but neat houses that grow like mushrooms overnight on a post-war California landscape. And it was locked, dark, and quiet. I went around to the back and started on the windows. The third one opened when I tried it. I climbed in, turned on some lights, and made the grand tour, then entered in the den. The only indication that anyone had been there all day was a current issue of the L.A. Star crumpled in the wastebasket. I pulled it out and started through it. On page five, I found the hole where a two-column story had been clipped out. And then somebody was at the front door. I started toward it, but changed my mind at the sound of the key in the lock. And instead moved back into the den and watched. A head that belonged on a gopher wearing a battered fedora and inch-thick glasses above a fur-collared coat peeked in. Gave the place a myopic once over and headed straight for the den. So I stepped out where he could see me. I have never seen you before. What are you doing here? You tell me first, Pop. I'm bigger than you are. I'm Dr. Abraham Softman. Softman? Oh, the chemist Shirley Vitello works for. Is mm-hmm. that why you have a key? Yes, she leaves unfinished. She leaves work here for me to pick up. It's a convenience for both of us. But now you. You can also explain, maybe? Well, a friend thinks your assistant's in trouble. I'm trying to find out. The name's Marlowe. Aha. Uh-huh. I suspected now I'm right. What? Shirley came to the laboratory late from lunch today and very much upset. She left again soon, right in the middle of our most important crimson test. Your what? Our crimson test. Oh, yes. Without one word to me, she left. Never does this happen before. In all the five years, she has been my loyal right hand. Uh, Well, tell me, what's the nature of your research, Dr. Southman? Uh, We are developing new commercial dyes. Oh, such a beautiful crimson we have now. Really? Shirley knows as much as I do about all of it. Mm. Mr. Marlowe. Hmm? Was it you who opened the desk drawer there? De- no. <laughs> I didn't notice it till now. Two boxes of thirty-two caliber ammunition. Nine shells gone from the top one. She kept a gun there. I've seen it before. That's gone, too. What kind of trouble needs a gun, Mr. Marlowe? Oh, I could think of a few. And they all say we better locate Shirley and soon. Now, look, Doc, I want to ask you... Just one moment, what? please. Maybe you will know if this means anything. I found this under her work table after she left this afternoon. Is it maybe something? I don't know. Let me see. Empty reservation envelope from Federal Airlines. L.A. to New York. Departure 11.35 tonight. Made out to Ruth Britton. 
Ruth Britton. Who's that? Well, I don't know her, but she must be something to Shirley. Perhaps this Ruth Britton is the trouble. Now, the airline number's here. Where's the phone? It's out there in the other room. Oh. There on the page. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Hudson's made six one oh. Good evening, Federal Airlines. Agent Frederick Stowe speaking. Frederick, do you have a Ruth Britton listed on your 1135 flight to New York? Oh, just one moment now, sir. I'll check. Oh, no. Yes, yes, we do. Yeah, well, I, I've got a locator. Do you have an address or a phone number there? Oh, no, sir, I do not. And even if I did, I'm look, afraid Freddy I could Look, Freddie boy, Freddie boy, this is important. I need that information. Now, describe it to me. What does she look like? Oh, dear, I'm afraid I can't. Oh. I must have sold the ticket. I'm the only agent on duty, but I just can't seem to think where Try, I... Try, will you think? I am. How do you expect oh, me to remember awful. 75 or 80 faces every day? Now, listen, I... Good heavens, don't you think I get confused? Yes, I every do, now nine I or ten jerks come in here at once, all wanting tickets at the Never same mind. time. Don't you think I have the Skip right to... Fredrickson. Now, look, Doc. Now, look, do me a favor, will you? What is it? Stay right here and wait for Shirley. If she comes back, hold her. I'm going to look up her husband, Gilbert. First stop was a newsstand. I bought an L.A. star, turned to page five, and found that the missing story was on a man identified only as Deniker, who'd been hit by a taxi on Temple Street at 8 a.m. The only reason it rated two columns was that before he lapsed into unconsciousness, he told the ambulance crew from the Citizens Emergency Hospital that he knew he was going to die and wanted to clear his conscience by confessing a crime he'd committed. It ended with police standing by. I drove on into Benedict Canyon, wondering... What kind of a bridge it was going to take to span the gap between a female chemist and a downtown traffic accident? I was still wondering when I got the number 510. All I could see of Gilbert Vitello's studio over the brush around it was something pseudo-Spanish that had been stuck onto a piece of vertical real estate by an optimist in the early 20s. A path had been opened from the driveway to the house, and as I walked to the door, the piano music from inside got louder, but not better. Even in the long-haired circle, that stuff needed a haircut. Hey! Hey! Vitello, break it up a minute, will you? What's the meaning of this outburst? I'm working and I won't be interrupted. Who are you? What do you want anyway? Take it easy, Mr. Vitello. My name is Marlowe. Betty Cantor sent me here because she's worried about your wife. The waitress worried about Shirley. Why? Well, she's in some kind of trouble. Have you seen her tonight? No, no, no. Not since this morning, but that's not unusual. I often work late. My music is very demanding. Now, what gives that waitress the idea that Shirley's in trouble? Your wife's reaction to a newspaper story. It scared the wits out of her. About a taxi hitting a man named Deniker mean anything to you? Deniker? Shirley worked with a fellow by that name once, I believe. But why would that story frighten her? Well, I was hoping you'd tell me. Do you have a gun? Uh, a, a little thirty-two pistol. It's at home. Why? It's gone. See here, what's this all about? Tell me. Tell me the truth and be quick about it. Oh, shut up. Answer my question. All right. My wife was shocked by that item on Deniker. She isn't at home, she isn't at Softman's lab, and hasn't been all afternoon. And what's more, she's got a gun. That's all I know, except for one thing. Who's Ruth Britton? Uh, She's a friend of Shirley's from the East. She's been visiting relatives out here. Why? Nothing. Maybe Shirley's got a plane reservation for her. That's all. Mr. Marlowe, if that's all you have to offer, why don't you get out of here so I can go to work? I'm quite certain if Shirley were actually in trouble, she'd come to me for help. And incidentally, tell Betty Cantor to take some, some, some vitamins or something. She's becoming a meddlesome busybody. 
You know, there was a quality about Gilbert Vitello that made me want to sock him on the temperament with the heavy end of his grand piano. When I started down the path to the driveway, I forgot about him. Because a pair of headlights slashed through the foliage like a giant scythe. I ran to where I could see and watch the girl in a brown suit get out of a sleek new Hudson and start toward the house. Then she saw me. She backed away, then threw me one scared look and darted into a side path like a jittery cottontail. I followed as fast as I could, but it was home ground to her, and in 20 yards I was outclassed. I lost her at the corner of a sagging shed and stopped to listen for her footsteps. I heard something else, but not in time to duck. Oh! Marlo, Marlo, what happened, Marlo? I heard a car come oh, in with a car. Oh, shut up, shut up. Surely she slugged me. I, I, I don't believe it. You're lying. Okay, I'm lying. But what it's worth to you, die hard. Your wife isn't kidding. She told me personally with a blunt instrument. Play that knee flat, Jack. Did you get something? Lumps. Oh, look at How about you, Dr. Softman? No, nothing. Come in, come in. Yeah. No, no one has come here. You found out something? Ever hear of a guy named Denica, Doc? Me? Here of Morris Denica? <laughs> Five times in the past three years, Morris Denica in Chicago has beaten me by introducing a new dye substance or a new process just days ahead of me. Huh. Five times this happened. He's a dye chemist, too. Huh? A brilliant one. I admire him. But why do you Listen, ask this me? is beginning to fit like a rubber glove. Hmm? Denica's in a hospital right here in L.A. He may not live and he wants to confess to a crime. Here, look. What? Now, read it yourself. When Shirley saw that story, it threw her into a panic. And now, it only figures one way. Your assistant has been selling your new developments to Denica before you released them. No, it is not true. Shirley would not do this thing. Not to me. Okay, Doc, we'll see. Now, look, why don't you go back to your lab and wait? I'm going to the hospital now and do some more fast addition. If it comes right... Just don't forget you're a scientist, will you? Oh, I would not forget. Now, you remember something, Mr. Marlowe. Two plus two does not always make four, especially when you are adding up human hearts. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, Wednesday's Wonderful on CBS... With Dr. Christian, Groucho Marx, Bing Crosby, and Burns and Allen all coming your way over most of these same CBS stations. This Wednesday, Brother Bob Crosby visits Bing. Gracie Allen stumps the income tax experts. Groucho will be on hand with his ad-libs and teams of opposition. And Dr. Christian makes a wily grandmother stick to the truth for once. So be listening this Wednesday, won't you? Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe in tonight's story, The Big Step. It was 20 stop-and-go minutes through the snarled early evening traffic over to the Citizens' Emergency Hospital. All the way, I kept hoping that Denica's confession wasn't going to have anything to do with Shirley Vitello. When I was there, standing next to Detective Lieutenant Matthews and filling him into date, I racked that hope up under wishful thinking. Morris Denica had already come, too. Yeah, Marlow, about a half hour ago. He didn't say too much. How much? Only something about this woman you mentioned, this Shirley Vitello, and yeah. the formula for some kind of a bleaching agent. Then he went out again. 
Hey, look, this, uh, this Fatello girl who currently adds up to something very... What does she look like? Oh, blonde, about 5'4", maybe 30. Wearing a dark brown suit and all hat? That's right. She been around? Yeah, I spotted her here in the hall about 45 minutes ago. Claimed uh-huh. she was a reporter, but she didn't make any small talk with the other news hands. I got a little suspicious. Just then, Denica came too, so I went in there. When I came back out, she was gone. Hey, Marlo, you know who we can pick her up? No, I don't, Lieutenant. Doesn't look so good for her. She could be pretty desperate right now. Like a quick trip to the country. Or like worse, she's got a gun, Matthews. And now oh. with Denica starting to talk, very little hope left. I better be going. Where? Just Phil? going, just going, Matthews. Hey, wait I'll a keep minute. in touch. Wait a minute. Look, we have a big organization, Mr. Marlowe. We're equipped to handle all kinds. We could do almost as good a job as you. Just keep that in mind, will you? Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad you said almost. So long. <laughs> got back into my car and pointed it toward the Vitello place on Veteran Avenue again. Because I didn't know where else I could possibly pick up Shirley's trail. I felt like an uncomfortable emptiness was in the pit of my stomach. You know, like the guy who stands on a street corner and watches an ambulance in turn scrape up a traffic victim. He knows he didn't have anything to do with it, but that knowledge doesn't make him feel any better. Shirley Vitello was headed for trouble, bad trouble. And the pathetic little kid, Betty Cantor, came into my office and started the whole thing would get hurt in the process. Well, I parked in front of the place, which from inside, a desk lamp showed a circle of light the size and color of a lemon lifesaver, and the front door was open inches, as though somebody had left in a big hurry. I walked on eggs as far as the door and nudged it, and I saw it. On a table in the far corner of the room, a note propped up against the lamp and nothing else. I started toward it. Don't move. I'm behind you, and I've got a gun. Oh, fine. 32 caliber out of the desk drawer, no doubt. No doubt. Marlowe, why are you mixing into something that's no business of yours? I'm a private detective working for your friend Betty Cantor. She's worried about you, Shirley. Marlowe, what's done is done. Betty can't help me. You can't help me. Nobody can help me. I stole Softman's work, and I sold it to Morris Deniker. I didn't count on a deathbed confession. Why'd you do it? I love my husband, and he, he needs money to go on with his work. No. Gilbert's in on this with you, huh? Oh, no. No, he isn't. He he thought my wages were high, that's all. The note I left there on the table makes that clear. Also, it... Also what? It says goodbye. I, I love him, Marlowe. When I'm gone, he'll have enough money to carry on. Keep the studio that means so much to him. And nothing can be taken away from him. I've seen to that, legal-like. Just what do you mean, gone, Shirley? How far is gone? A long way, Marl. All the way. Suicide? Oh, no, Shirley, you Marl, can't mean that. Marl, let's not talk anymore. And don't bother about that phone. It's only Gilbert. How do you know? Well, when I pulled up outside here after I came from the hospital, he was home. I didn't want to speak to him, so I drove on until I came to a phone booth. And then I called here and told him to meet me at the Saffron Bar. <laughs> it's an old hangout of ours. You wanted to leave a note for him, but didn't want to face him, is that it? Yeah. He'll keep calling on and off for quite a while before he comes back here. I, I figured it would be better that way. I, I didn't want him chasing me. <laughs> the sea air might give the big lug a cold. It always did. Well, Marlowe, it, it looks like it's about time to put you away for safekeeping. I don't think so, Shirley. I think the phone is a... No! 
Next time, Marlowe, it'll be more than a vase, but just as fragile. Now, the closet seat aligned and strong as it should hold you long enough. Get in, Marlowe. Go on. Okay. And it is, baby. But first... What? The step you're about to take, Shirley, listen... Yeah, I know all about it. It, It's a big step, isn't it, Marlowe? We'll save your breath. I wouldn't be any happier in prison or running away, believe me. Not a bit happier. So long, Marlowe. Nobody's home. Shirley Vitello was mixed up about a lot of things in life, but that doesn't include closets, because the one she put me in was strong. The lining she called cedar must have been hand-me-down armor plate from a retired battle wagon. So all in all, I was 45 minutes alternately kicking and resting while the insistent telephone marked the five-minute intervals for me. But finally, it was the wood around the lock that gave way. <coughs> I was out. Hello? Hello, sir. Who's this? Marlo Vitello, and save your questions till you hear what I have to say. Marlo, where's my wife? She was supposed to meet me here at the Saffron Barn. I said She's save not... it. Now listen. Your wife's out to kill herself. No, Marlo, no! Yes, tell me, did you two have a favorite spot out near the ocean? I, I don't see what I don't head... care whether you see or not, did you or didn't you? Uh, yes, yes, the Redondo Fishing Pier below Santa Monica. Good, now keep listening, Vitello, and do as I say. Come straight home. But, Marlo, it surely... Do as I say, Vitello. I'm back here and sit tight with fingers crossed. I worry about the pier. Goodbye. And I picked up the phone again, dialed 116, got through to police emergency operator, and from there to Matthews, who was still at the Citizens Hospital. I told him to pick me up in a squad car and get ready for a fast 10-mile drive to the Redondo Fishing Pier, where Shirley Vitello was going to kill herself. And I got outside and waited the four longest minutes of my life, until finally Matthews screeched up to a halt. When I piled in, we took off, siren wide open. In a minute now, Marlowe. Pierce only a couple of blocks away. Good. Better have Mooney kill that siren, Lieutenant. Jack, we want to come in quiet, Mooney. Okay, Lieutenant. Well, there she is. That power's out on the pier. Yeah, Mooney, pull up here, will you? We don't want to scare her into something. Matthews. What? That crowd there, halfway out on the pier. There's a cop with them. Yes, so there is. You better drive right up, Mooney. Looks like we're too late, Phil. We were too late. At the center of a circle of the morbidly curious who always stand and gape, we found her lying face down in the greasy planks of the pier, dead. She'd shot herself through the heart and the gun, and the same 32 she'd used on me was lying next to her. Two bullets gone. I explained the extra shot to Matthews. Uh-huh. Okay, one bullet fired up at her place and the other one here. Well, I hope you're satisfied, Marlowe. What do you mean, satisfied? I mean single-handed. You had to leave the cops out of it, didn't you? You had to go up to Veteran Avenue all by your lonesome, didn't you? Now, you wait a minute, Matthews. I was only oh, trying to... Oh, nuts. Hey, Mooney, where's the nearest phone? Over there, Lieutenant, across the street, the Triple Eagle Cafe. The patrolman here's already called an ambulance. All right, tell him she can be moved. Come on, Marlowe, I want to turn in a first report on this. Mm. Mooney, pick us up at the cafe. Right, Lieutenant. Okay, Bob, Shirley Vitello was stealing formulas for those dyes from her boss and selling them to this Morris Denneker. Yeah. Always rosy until Denneker walked out in front of a taxi early this morning. That put him close to death and in the mood to talk. Also put Shirley Vitello on the spot. Hey, is that the place you want to phone from? Yeah, yeah. Look, one thing more, Marlowe. The girl's motive all the way through. She loved her husband, he loved his work. Yeah, her too? Yeah, after his work. 
So since he didn't make any dough, she sold to keep him going and close to her. There's the phone, Phil. Come on, will you? I may need you to fill in the blanks for me. I... Marlowe, I said I, I heard you, I heard you. The phone can wait, Lieutenant. Come on over here. What? I want to talk to that piano player. Piano player? What about? The tricky way he has of playing Blue Sky. What? Yeah. Hey, bud, that's all right. You got a mean left hand there. Yeah, I open in Carnegie Hall next week. Don't miss me. I'll try not to. It's just terrific what you do with that tune, you know? My own particular arrangement. Nobody else's, huh? Oh, nobody. I've been working on this arrangement for a week. That's all I wanted to know. Hey, Marlowe, what are you getting at? The phone, I've heard enough. Where'd you say it was, Matthew? Over there, the left of the bar. But still, what, what are we What time doing? is it, Lieutenant? Five after twelve. Marlowe, what a is switch, it? A switch, a switch, Matthews. A switch? Yeah, one that'll knock your badge off. Will you get a load of this? I'll listen. Good evening, Federal Airwaves. Agent Hedrick Stoltz. Listen, Frederick, I'm the party who called before about the reservations for Ruth Britton on the 1135 for New York. Oh, yes, I remember you. I'll probably... Never mind, it's police business, Freddie. Did the plane leave on schedule? Of course it did. But Miss Britton didn't make it, and she didn't bother to call and cancel her reservation. Thanks, I've heard enough. So far, so good, Matthew. Yeah, which means what? The Saffron Bar in Hollywood. Which means what? Shirley Vitello didn't commit suicide, Matthew. She was murdered. Okay, Phil. Where's your man? Right there. That table against the wall. Oh. Come on, Matthew. Hawaiian music. Sentimental rock. Degradation. Abomination. Oh, I don't think it's as bad as all that, Gilbert, old boy. Marlowe, you were caught the most insensitive of all people. What would you know about music? Just for the record, he's not a cop. My question still stands. What do you know about music? As a matter of fact, not much. But you know, I'm fascinated by what they're doing with instruments these days. Really? Mm-hmm. What are they doing that might fascinate you? Well, for example, take that picture where the score is done by only one instrument, a zither. What's more, it doesn't sound like a zither. To a trained ear, a zither is a zither. You mean you can't make one instrument sound like another? Well, for example, uh, a guitar like a piano? Don't be ridiculous. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Not so ridiculous. Why, only tonight I heard a guitar that sounded just like a piano. Real tricky arrangement it was, too. Sounded... You're joking. Oh, no, no. Well, you must have heard it, too. It was while we were talking on the telephone. The telephone? I talked to you? Sure you did. You remember? Well, Mom, you Mom. said you were calling from here, the Saffron Bar, but Mom, the conversation Mom. was being scored by the Mom. pianist at the Triple Mom. Eagle Cafe at Redondo Beach. A real Mom. tricky arrangement in more ways than one. I, I, I didn't mean it. I, I didn't really want to. All right, what's the rest of it, Phil? He didn't want to quit his work and spend the rest of his life hiding in some forgotten corner of the globe. Which was her plan? Yeah. As I figure it, once Shirley knew she was finished, she decided they should both run for it. He was in on what she was doing all along. And the suicide note? It was part of a plan. Oh. Leave puppy here and innocent with the money she got for a shenanigan. Then frame her own suicide, a trail that would lead us to the Redondo Pier, her hat and coat floating in the drink. Uh-huh. And after a couple of days of searching, we say the tide probably carried the body out to sea. Close case. That's right. In the meantime, she's flown to New York as Ruth Britton and is heading on from there. Hubby here to join her at a later date. Yeah, fine. Only Hubby double-crossed her and shot her so he can sit tight with the money right here. That's it, Matthews. Oh, please. 
Jimmy. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Wipe them dry, Matthews, and take them away. I didn't go along with Matthews. I didn't even bother about my car, which I'd left in front of the Vitello place. Oh, I'd had enough for one night. Enough of the kind of person who'd hitch his wagon to a star only if the twinkle he saw on the horizon was the reflection of a dollar sign. Oh, yeah, they were a pair, all right, the Vitellos. A pair who finally canceled each other out. You know what? I'm glad of it. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Gene Bates, Paul Dubov, Vivi Janis, Edgar Berrier, and Peter Lead. Detective Lieutenant Matthews is played by Larry Dobkin. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Orant. <laughs> Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time I tangled with a mad Scotchman, a phony English lord and a beautiful blonde corpse in a freight house. All because of a butler who walked on his knuckles. How about tying a mental string around your finger today to remind yourself to file your 1949 income tax return as soon as possible? The 15th of March isn't several miles down the road the way it used to be. It's almost at your front door. And you'd certainly get a scare if you came home one evening to find it sitting right smack in your living room saying smugly, well, you forgot to file your income tax return. What now, little man? So why not set aside tonight as income tax night and file your 1949 return? This is Roy Rowan speaking. This is CBS, where Burns and Allen are heard every Wednesday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This time I tangled with a mad Scotchman, a phony English lord and a beautiful blonde corpse in a freight house, all because of a butler who walked on his knuckles. It happened like this. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Monkey's Uncle.
Mrs. Marlowe. Oh, thank heavens you're still in your office at this late hour, Mr. Marlowe. I must have your help at once. What? Cornelius' life is in danger, man, and time means everything. Now, sir, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who way? are you? Who's Cornelius? Where are you calling from and about what? Let's have it a slow step at a time, huh? Hey, my name's Wesley McDuff, Mr. Marlowe. All right, lead on, McDuff. I'm calling from a telephone booth opposite the Beekman Plaza Hotel on Hollywood Boulevard where... Hmm? Ashley Duke. Ashley who? Going for the Beekman Plaza. Lord Ashley Duke himself, across the street. I've got Let... to get to him. Mr. Marlowe, hurry. Meet me in the hotel lobby. Yes, but... Man, we've got to stop them. They're going to kill Cornelius. My first reaction was to forget the whole thing. But curiosity is strong stuff with me. Any triumvirate labeled Wesley McDuff, Lord Ashley Duke, and Cornelius had to add up the screwball no matter where you started. But the word kill was still big in my vocabulary, so... I buttoned the office up quickly, got down in my car, and drove over to the Beekman Plaza Hotel, where a ten-minute stand in the lobby produced nothing closer to worried Scotchman than the plaid covering in a sagging Morris chair. And at the reception desk, there was no Wesley McDuff registered or ever heard of. I'm sorry, sir. So at that, I was ready to call it quits. I turned for the door, but before I got there, I was stopped. The uniform said bellhop, and the sprinkle of freckles plus Bon Cowlick said all-American boy. But the shifty eyes and the narrow mouth that slid over to the side of his face when he talked said something else, like racetrack tough. Say, uh, pardon me, sir, but uh, I happen to overhear you ask after a Scotchman. Uh, Wesley Macduff, was it? Yeah, you know where he is? Well, uh, yes, and... Uh... Yes, and uh, how much? Ten? Five. Okay, sport, five. Mm. But let's get out of the traffic, huh? Over here, under this map, like I was pointing out something to you. That's a fresh idea, yeah. Thanks. Uh, the viva? Oh, here. Now, uh, where's McDuff? On his way to Burbank, dead drunk. You're crazy. I talked to him less than half an hour ago. He was stone sober and a long way from the party mood. Mm, could be. But 15 minutes ago, I helped Lord Ashley Duke pile him into a cab. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Ashley Duke, how does he fit? Uh, he found this McDuff in the alley outside. Oh. I was just coming back from dinner when I saw him pick the guy up. He couldn't say a word. Huh? But a Blue Shield medical card we found in his wallet read Wesley McDuff, 13 Vineland Avenue, Burbank. Boy, he was out colder than my old man. Yeah, yeah. I... Now, listen, Junior, here's another five. Fill me in fast. Who's Lord Ashley Duke? A nightclub character. Entertainer. Lives here with his wife, uh, Lady Ashley Duke, when they're in L.A. Well, this, um, is he legitimate, this Lord business? Nah, nah, but he plays it to the hilt. Why, after we piled that McDuff into the cab, he dusted his white gloves off, genteel-like, slipped the monocle he wears into his eye and grabbed another cab and shoved. Mm. He's a phony. His real name is Bert Dukes, and Milady is Gert. And on her, it shows... What do you mean, shows? That the second she gets behind her door, uh, they got suite 312, she climbs out of her accent like it was a tight girdle. Uh. Especially when she and that niece of hers go at it. Uh, uh, yes, sir, the famous Merrimack cabins are on Route 66 near St. Louis. Oh, good evening, Mr. Fisher. Good evening, Tom. Okay, where were we? The niece, the niece. Oh, yeah, quite a doll. Her name's Merle Brimmer. Acts as a business manager, so she must also have brains. Now tell me, who's Cornelius? Cornelius? Yeah. <laughs> What's breaking you up? Who is he? Nobody but the star of the act. The Lord and Lady do a farce thing, uh, a takeoff on English drawing room stuff, and Cornelius plays the butler. Plays it in a derby and a boiled shirt, no less. Well, why the giggles? You've seen a derby and boiled shirt before? Yeah, yeah, sure I have. But on Cornelius, it looks different. You see, mister, he's a chimpanzee. <laughs> Yeah, Cornelius definitely added screwball. But I also knew that prospective client Macduff had been sapped and piled into a cab for good riddance, which could add to less than funny. So I decided I'd look around a little longer, especially in the vicinity of Milady's chamber, number 
3.12. When I stepped out of the elevator on the third floor, an owl-faced waiter was just piloting a dinner cart loaded down with dirty dishes out of the room. And when the cart joggled onto the corridor rug, it nearly upset a coffee pot, which left the waiter's mind on the juxtaposition of cart and pot and not the door, if he'd left open inches. I waited till he passed me. Then I moved up to where I could both see and hear Lady Ashley Duke and her niece Merle exploding at each other through an after-dinner conversation. The former was built like an upended blimp with as much charm as a mooring mast. The latter was blonde and female, spy beautiful. And also she was nonchalantly slipping a shiny 32 automatic from desk drawer to purse. Oh, now wait a minute, Gert. Before you snap a stay, you listen to me. Why? So you can explain Mm. once more how poor Uncle Bird's idiotic mistakes are just bad luck. 10,000 bucks worth of bad luck. Nuts. Bert don't know anything about investments. He shouldn't be allowed to touch a red cent. And my pretty, from here on out, that's exactly the way it's going to be. Believe me. Oh, cut it, Gert, and quit blaming Uncle Bert and me. Are you kidding? Why shouldn't I blame the two of you? He's a jerk, and you... I never wanted you with us in the first place, my niece. (laughs) Oh, shut up. And remember, dear aunt, your husband likes me around. I'm good for his morale, he says. He'll never let you fire me. So don't waste your breath. Auntie, get out of here. Go on, get down to the freight house and keep your eyes open. We don't want to lose Cornelius. Don't worry, darling. Guard duty's an old specialty of mine. Yes, who is it? Name's Marlowe. I'd like to see Lord Ashley Duke. Oh, well, I... Oh, well... Uh, yes. (laughs) He's not in, but what did you want to see him about? Oh, business. Can you help me? Perhaps. You see, I'm his uh, business... She used to be his business manager. She was just leaving, weren't you, Merle Darling? Yes, Merle Darling was. Mr. Marlowe, Lady Ashley Duke. Goodbye, Auntie. Unhappy, huh? Oh, rather. Uh, now, sir, to save each of us time, let me be blunt. Lord Ashley Duke is no longer interested in making any investments whatsoever, nor will he be interested at a future date. Is that clear, sir? Yes, like well water, Lady Ashley Duke, and if I were looking for an investor, I'd keep it in mind. But you see, I'm a private detective working for Wesley McDuff. A paper? A lousy paper pushing his way uh, in here. Why are you... Easy, easy, Gertie. Let go. Get your filthy hands off me. Sure. Just as soon as you get back in a neutral... I also want to save us time, and I want to save Cornelius, too. How do we talk or wrestle, which? Oh, all right. Seven weeks ago, Lord Ashley Duke and I bought Cornelius from that crazy monkey razor out in Burbank. We paid Macduff $30,000 for a run-down 17-year-old chimpanzee. Well, then why do you want to kill him? Macduff thinks you're going to. Yeah, Macduff's crazy. Just because we change our minds and instead of staying here in L.A., decide to go on the road. Macduff thinks Cornelius will catch cold and die. So he wants him back. Yeah, but you'll get your money back. Yeah. But what about the seven weeks of work just to teach him to drop a glass? Not only that, he's a wonderful imitator. I can see your point. Besides, a deal's a deal. And we're taking the risk of Cornelius's death, not the loon who runs that Burbank animal farm. Why, that Scotchman thinks every animal in the joint's related to him. <laughs> it's an old idea, honey. But look, Lady Ash... That's what? We've had our talk, people. Now get out. Go on. Go on. Get out before I forget I'm, uh... A lady. Over here, Tompkins. What is it? A telephone call, sir. Booth four this way, please. Make out all right up there? Jim Dandy. Good. Now, uh, 
If you feel I was underpaid, I you... feel we came out even, Buster. Besides, I'm running low on farthings. Unless, uh, Yes? You know where the freight house Cornelius calls home is located. Uh-uh. Blank. Okay. So long, Tompkins. Hello? Mr. Marlowe? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You all right, McDuff? Hey, it takes more than a foul blue in the dark to stop me, man. And it's just what Lord Ashley Duke is going to discover in many minutes. What do you mean? That I've run out of patience. I ain't going to act, not talk. I'm about to take Cornelius back with my own hands, and I want you to help oh, me. Oh, now, wait a now, minute. Look, man, I'm in a drugstore at Pershing Square, close by the freight house where Cornelius is caged for shipment. I want you to wait, meet you me. You can't steal him, McDuff. Ah, I, I can. Steal him and disguise the animal so they'll ne'er be able to claim him again. So they won't be able to kill him. Oh, McDuff, I can't go along with that. Then I chose the wrong man. Oh. There's precious little time left, Mr. Marlowe. Tomorrow they leave Los Angeles. Now, will you help me? No. Beside McDuff, you'll never get away with it. There's a girl, Ashley Duke's niece, who's got a gun, and I... Macduff! Macduff! All the way from the phone booth through the lobby into my car outside, I kept telling myself three things. One, I wasn't working for Macduff. Two, Macduff was about to commit a crime. And three, I couldn't worry about the gun in Merle Brimmer's purse. It was all none of my business. So when I was in behind the wheel of my car, I pointed it toward my apartment on Franklin, lit a cigarette, and forgot about the whole thing. A block later, I threw the cigarette out, turned, and headed for Pershing Square. Scots with animal farms in Burbank obviously weren't the only crazy people in Los Angeles. After arriving at Pershing Square, I was 30 minutes piling up wisecracks, frozen stairs, and assorted giggles before I hit pay dirt. A bottle boy with a great memory. Yeah, sure, I know the place. Only spot around, it'll ship live animals along with <clears throat> the rest of the stuff that they handle. Anything from an eel to an elephant. How about pink ones? They got those, too. That's what I thought. Yeah, I worked there once during, <clears throat> during the Christmas rush. Made the price of a fifth in one day. Now, I look, look, you'll do it again right now if you can tell me one thing. The address, what is it? Uh, it's, uh, yeah. 44... Come on, come on. Forty-two... Stick with it. Uh... Yeah. Fourth Street. boy. <laughs> Here's five. Crawl back in the bottle. I'll see you. The neighborhood was half residential, half industrial, and all run down. Including the freight house, which was two windowless stories of dirty red brick hovering over a loading ramp on a deserted, shadowy street. I started slowly toward it, when suddenly a side door flew open and an excited old man with flashlight and giant key ring that spelled Night Watchman leaped out of the building, arms and legs going like twin beaters on a mix master. Hey, hey, Pop! Hold it, is it the chimp? Yes, and he's raising the roof in there. Yeah? If I shoot him, I'll be fired. He's worth a fortune. Yeah, I know all about it. Come on, I'll give you a hand. Oh, okay, good. Well, let's go. Where is he? Upstairs. Hanging in one window at the back. I just turned the lights on and there he was. Oh. When he seen me, he grabbed a stick from the floor and started beating things with oh, it. Oh, fine. And then he broke the window and began to swing on the block and tackle. It runs outside from the roof to the ground. Look, there he is. Yeah, still beating. Hey, Pop, Pop, he's going to fling it. There he goes, down the roof. And away. Well, all right, Pop, we better call the Look, cops. Over there, near his empty cage. It's a girl. Blood all over her head. Holy smoke. Merle Brimmer. She did? 
beat to death with a stick the chimp just threw at us. Then, then you think the monkey did it? I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. He's a great imitator, Pop. It could have been somebody else. Not the monkey? Then who? Who else? A monkey's uncle. A Scotchman named Macduff. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, Groucho Mar Marx will make another of his famed personal appearances on most of the same CBS stations this Wednesday night. Groucho Marx, whose many activities include emceeing You Bet Your Life, one of the craziest quiz shows on the air. You're cordially invited to hear Groucho Marx every Wednesday on CBS. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Monkey's Uncle. walked around the body of the girl on the freight house floor. I took a close look at the cage lock. There was no doubt that it had been forced from the outside. The watchman staring down at the body was shaking like a motorcycle with square wheels. So I took him by the arm and walked him down the stairs and outside for some air. It's, it's terrible. I don't know what to do. Nothing like this ever happened here before, and the boss never told me what I'm supposed to do in a case like this. Well, it's easy. Just call the police. The police? Yeah. Also, the SPCA and Frank Buck. Chances are we'll need them all before the night's over. Okay, mister. Thanks, I should... Hey, who's that getting out of that cab? From the top hat cape and spats, I'd say it was one Lord Ashley Duke, the legal owner of the chimp. Oh, what are you two blighters staring at? I'm out of my way. Uh, just a moment, just a moment, before you go inside. I want to talk to you, Lord Ashley Duke. Uh, you know my name, do you? Well, now, my job, that's interesting. I don't know you, sir. I'll survive. Why'd you come down here tonight? Because I heard that my niece was here, protecting my property. And that's no suitable task for a girl. Not capable to do that sort of thing, you know. It's a man's job, you know. I had a beastly time finding the place, too. You haven't been here before, huh? Oh, yes, yes. A couple of days ago. But that, that, that was in broad daylight. Uh, stand aside, One sir. thing more. Hmm? Why did you slug Wesley McDuff tonight and dump him in a cab? Just who are you, anyway? Private Detective Philip Marlowe's the name. Mm, well, sounds British enough. Mm. About as British as you are. Hmm? Oh, yeah. And you, I presume, are the watchman. Yes, sir. That's me, your highness. What about Macduff, your highness? There's no choice. The blighter wanted to welch on the transaction we've made. I refused and he threatened me. So I bopped him. And then <laughs> made out he was intoxicated, you know. Packed him off in a cabin. Oh, oh, oh. oh yeah. <clears throat> Nevertheless, when a man sells me a monkey... Right, George, that monkey is mine. I thought that treatment might bring Macduff to his bloody senses. Well, it didn't. It made him tougher. And what's more, the chimpanzee is gone. And, and Cornelius is gone. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Come on, Pop. Uh, okay. the way she was when we found her. And that crazy monkey was in here just jumping up and down like he was throwing a fit. It was McDuff. McDuff, that's who it was. That madman. Hurry, mackerel. What was that? I don't know, but I'm going to find out. You stay here. The scream had come from the architectural blunder next door. It was one of those big gingerbread houses left over from the 1800s, and I got there just in time to meet the witch. The scaly front portal was jerked open in front of me, and there she stood. 
Like a pool cue in high panic, topped by a head of brittle orange hair, half down up tight in curlers, the other half streaming over her face. She clutched frantically at the stained kimono with one hand and me with the other. Take it easy. Hold it, will you? What's going on? Oh, oh, that face, that awful face. What face? The ugliest thing I ever seen. Oh, protect me. It's a fear. All right, take it easy. Will you calm down and tell me what happened? I was upstairs in my room taking my yeah. hair out. When I happened to look over at the window, and there was that face shoved right up against the glass. Oh, I swear I never seen nothing like that since before I took the cure, mister. All right, now listen, had I... hair all over it, and red eyes and big grinning mouth. What was like one of them giant gorillas they got in the movie. That's Cornelius, all right. Where's the room? Oh, up there at the head of them stairs. Oh. Hey, you ain't going up there and leave me all alone, I... Well, then come along. Corny's a trained chimp. He won't hurt you. Oh, no, not me, brother. I'm getting... Where? Where? Tell me, is that a passage out there between the houses? Oh, no, no, it's a kind of an airshift, only it's closed up at the back. Oh, you mean he can't get through to the alley? Yeah, yeah, that's right. There's no way out of there except the street. All right, come on, let's get outside. We got him cornered. Oh, you got him cornered, baby, mister, not me. I don't want nothing more to do with that ugly puss. The airshaft was a scant 18 inches wide and as dark and cluttered as the inside of a goat pen with odors to match. I worked my way back as far as the bashful light from the street reached. Oh, be careful in there, mister. And I stopped and listened. But Cornelius was a genius. There wasn't a sound. And I couldn't see my hand in front of my face to say nothing of a black-haired chimpanzee who was no doubt getting a big kick out of the entire procedure. I decided to try psychology on him. So I called in what I hoped was a firm but friendly voice, and it got me no place. I groped my way along the wall of the drain pipe and called again. This time shorter on the friendly and longer on the firm, which was a mistake. The drain pipe should have given me a hint, but it didn't. Oh! Oh! What? What? What's the matter? He's gone. Hold on, who? Who, who's gone? That gorilla. Oh. It was up on the drain pipe. Oh. It hit you on the head with something that <clears throat> ran right past me and oh. got away in a taxi. Oh, come on, let's get out oh, of here. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute, baby. I I could have sworn you said the, the monkey took a taxi. Yeah, you did. I watched the whole oh, thing. Oh, my. As soon as it got out in the street, a man in a checkered tan <clears throat> with a crooked stick in his hand came out from between them buildings over there and called it. Uh. They ran up to a taxi. The driver jumped out and they drove away. I seen him. The driver jumped out and they drove away? Yeah. I don't think you took the cure soon enough. Well, I seen something else, too. Huh? A fat breed in a high hat and spats came charging out of the freight house yeah. there, saw the cab leaving, got in a green coupe that green was parked coupe. in front and took off. Holy after. smoke, that's my car. You, oh, it's gone. How do you like that? Yeah. Now maybe you believe me, huh? Every screwy word, sweetheart. Now, look, you didn't happen to see... Driver there. Did anybody see what happened? I gotta have a witness. My taxi was hijacked off of me by two crazy guys. One of them looked like an ape, exactly like an ape. Move over, bud. We're on the same raft. My car's gone, too. Tell me what happened, will you? Start at the top. Okay. Tonight I bring this big shot in a high hat down here to the freight house. He hops out, tells me to wait, see? Yeah. So I drive down the block and turn around. I, I, I'm parked right over there, trying to grab a quick 40 winks. When up comes this loon. A Scotchman? Yeah. That's him. Yeah. He throws me a fast address and starts getting in, see? I politely tell him the flag is down, but he keeps coming. You see, it's just yeah, like Yeah, yeah, I, I know. It's just like it. Now, look, did you ever see this Scotchman before? No, never. I figure maybe he's got a snood full of happy days, nothing more. Uh -huh. So I'm reaching over to block him when a pair of hands that feels like a doormat with muscles mm. grabs me around the neck. 
I twist around and look, and what do I see? Cornelius. Him I don't know, but an ape man is crawling in my wind. So help me, I'm rubbing noses with a missing link. Yeah, I know. Then what happened? Mac, I jump out of the taxi, and before I know it, the old geezer gives me a claw with his stick, piles in, the next thing my taxi's gone just like that. You gotta believe me, somebody's gotta back me up. <laughs> if I try this on the cops, they'll have me in a padded cell in no time. Well, don't worry about it, fella. Just reach hard for that address the Scotchman gave you. Can you remember it? Oh, sure. Uh, let me see, it was the, uh, the, uh, the Rushmore. Rushmore. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a down at the hills motel out on Vernon. Yeah. Somewhere around uh, Beverly Boulevard. Ed Nathan's... Oh, you stepped on something here on the sidewalk. Oh, you sure did, cutie. Smashed it, too. It looks like somebody's watch crystal. Sure, ladies' watch crystal. Oh, a nice one. See, it had this hunk of black ribbon with it. Ladies' what? Hey, wait a minute. Let me see that. Sure, here. It's velvet. See? Yeah, yeah, it sure is. That doesn't fit. Not here. No one's been here but the three of us and the chimp. So long, kids. Hey, hey, wait. Where are you I'm going to talk to a liar about a murder. I'll see you later at headquarters, I hope. But what about my time? Talk to the night watchman in the freight house. You'll be good for each other. I was two blocks on foot finding another taxi in 15 minutes getting from there out to the motel, worrying all the way because I'd left my gun under the front seat of my car. Business was slow at the Rushmore. The only cabin that showed a light was the last in the rear next to the alley. I was sure of what I'd find inside. In spite of the fact that neither the stolen cab nor my coupe was any place in sight. When I heard the voices, I decided to bluff it. I went up to the front door and pressed my ear against the flimsy panel. Anyway, a bargain's a bargain, McDuff. You'd have done better to stick by it. I'd have stuck by it if ye had your scurvy crook. Ah, don't reach for your chain. It's a little late for that. You're in a real jam now. I'm going to see you blamed for my niece's murder. But I didn't kill her. I pushed her down. I. Yeah. She caught me unluckin' Cornelius Cage and tried to stop me. But I didn't kill her. You did that. Yes, yes, but who knows that? Except you and the monk there. And he can't talk. And you won't believe me. Ah, you daft man. Why did you do it? Because I had to. Because Merle was bleeding me to death. Every cent I could lay my hands on. I had to buy her silence. I had to pretend to lose thousands in poor investments. Well... Merle got what was coming to her, and you gave me that chance. I found her on the floor where you left her and simply finished the job. Then you ran off and came back in that taxi 15 minutes later, the very spirit of innocence. I saw you. Very well, Lord Ashley Duke. You've got me as a thief, too, so get on with it. Get on with your filthy evil plan. I'm ready. Don't be in a hurry, McDuff. Stay where you are, Ashley. Don't bother turning around. Just drop the gun. Oh, I knew you'd not let me down, laddie. I knew it. Oh, what's this, old boy? It's rather an untimely hit. Skip the accent, Birch. You won't need it where you're going. Drop that gun, I said. Oh, you'll move. Shoot me with that pipe in your pocket. Marlowe, I've got your gun. Here in my hand, and you know it. Want to bet? Well, with the light out. Yes, Ashley! <laughs> Oh! 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 It's, it's a very strange thing, lad. <clears throat> he hit you but once, huh? but there are two lumps on your skull. Do you can this condition? Never mind, skip it. I don't want to talk about it. Oh! <sighs> Where's Ashley? Trust up there in the corner. He should be coming around soon. You see, Cornelius, as you've no doubt learned, is a great imitator. When he saw Ashley bat you on the head with a gun, yeah. he grabbed McCain, leaped up on the dresser there, and batted Ashley on the head. Oh, no, no. Not with this headache. Hey. Don't tell me I'm indebted to that. Just when I was learning to hate him. Hey, we both are. 
for our lives. Yeah. But tell me, what does a black velvet ribbon and a, a watch crystal mean? He mumbled that over and over while we, uh, you were out. Oh. Well, that's how I knew Ashley was a liar and a killer. See, the cab driver stepped on a round piece of glass that looked like a watch crystal with a ribbon attached. Uh-huh. Happened on the sidewalk in front of an air shaft. Actually, the... Oh, actually, the glass was a monocle. Oh, dropped by <sighs> Lord Ashley Duke. No. Ashley'd never been at that spot. No? But if Cornelius had, and if Cornelius dropped the monocle, it indicated that Lord Ashley Duke had been someplace with Cornelius early at night, you see? Ah. That could only be the freight house. Yet Ashley claimed he hadn't been there for two days. Oh, I see. Oh, you do. Oh, my head. How about you, Cornelius? <laughs> yeah, well, that's one of the best answers I've had tonight. It didn't take long at police headquarters. Maybe an hour altogether. A killer was locked up for trial, and the key witness ate three erasers, spilled a quart of ink, and broke a window before the homicide boys finally gave up. I watched the phony Lord Ashley Duke walk down the corridor to his cell. Any connection he had with man was just the category. Then I watched Macduff and company leave, too. A couple of regular guys. A monkey... The monkey's uncle. A genuine old Scott who loved life. And his shuffling friend whose only limitation was his inability to speak. But he communicated all right. In the only language that means anything. Love of one creature for another. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. As a special note of interest, Philip Marlowe fans, you'll be glad to know that radio and television Life magazine has this week named Gerald Moore as the best male actor in radio. Featured in our cast were Mary Lansing, John Daner, Tudor Owen, Sam Edwards, Michael Ann Barrett, Harry Bartell, and Junius Matthews. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a case-hardened car hop knocked me down a flight of stairs. An honest woman was strangled by a green silk sash. And a simpering dandy was shot to death. All because of a run-of-the-mill traffic accident 500 miles away. (laughs) 